Today we are going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. So if you have your Bible with you this morning and you want to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, we will be going there in just a few moments. But today we're going to be looking at the idea of biblical authority, biblical authority. So the Bible, God's Word, and I want to start by sharing just a few things that some of you may know, some of you may not know, some interesting um, facts about the Bible. Every year, the Bible sells over 100 million copies. 100 million copies of the Bible are sold every year. Uh, The Bible has been translated into over 690 languages. And it is also the world's most stolen book, uh, most of those being from hotels, where the Bible is stolen more than any other book every year. But today we're going to be looking at the Bible and why it is um, a foundational element. We're looking at this idea of building our new Bethel, becoming the church God calls us to be, and, and how if we're going to build this church to be what we, God calls it to be, we need to have a solid foundation. Last week we looked at the first foundational element, which was the gospel. The idea that if we are going to be a church that is following God and following what God and sharing what Christ has done for us, then the good news, the story of what God has done must be foundational in everything that we do. Today we're going to be looking at how the Bible should have authority in the church and we should respect the Bible as a a place of authority, as something with authority in our lives so that we can look to it and we can know what is truth? So if you would, let's turn to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we look at His Word this morning. Father, we thank You. For what you've done for us, we thank you for all of the the ways you have revealed yourself to us, Lord. And we thank you for the Bible, for Scripture that we have, your very Word, the Word of God that we can look to and, and know who you are because you have revealed yourself to us through the Scriptures. God, I pray that you be with us this morning, that you would help us to see your Word and to, to have a, a newfound or renewed respect for it in our lives and in the life of the church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first thing we see is that all Scripture is inspired by God. All Scripture is inspired by God. And and so today as we're looking at this idea of biblical authority, that the Bible should have authority in our lives and it should have authority in the church, we, we need to take a moment to have a brief defense of the Bible. Now, there there should be an understanding, hopefully, among us in this room that the Bible is God's Word, but there are many people who doubt that. And if you're interacting with non-believers or people who are are questioning whether they should have faith in Christ or not, one of the main things they may question is, is the Bible really God's Word? Why can I trust the Bible? I remember having a conversation when I was uh, a few years back with with a friend that I grew up with who grew up in church and grew up a Christian, but as they were getting into the later years of high school, they began to question their faith. They began to look at what they wanted to do and to do things they chose to do. And and I was having a conversation with them about this. And they were like, why why do you know that the Bible is true? How do you know that someone didn't just make it up and, and just write it and put it all together and put what they wanted into it? 
This is a common thought among people who are not believers, people who are not Christians. They question the, legitimate, the legitimacy of the Bible. They question whether it can be true or not. I want to share a few images with you, and I know that it will be very hard to see what is on the images, but I'll try to explain what you're seeing to you in a moment. Uh, there is a, uh, when it compared to other books, when, when compared to other scriptures, the Bible has far more manuscripts than, than many other classic works. So if you look at this scripture, that you, or this, this image you're seeing on the screen, to the left, we see the New Testament. The far left is Greek copies of the New Testament. There are 5,856 Greek manuscripts of the Bible. When we look at the, the New Testament manuscripts of all languages, there are 23,986 copies of manuscripts in all languages. When you look to the right, these are other classic, famous works that you see. There's Homer's The Iliad, Homer's Odyssey, other major works. And the number of manuscripts that are available of these works is far fewer in comparison to the Bible. But people trust that these works are accurate when compared to the original copy, even though there is not near as many manuscripts. And these manuscripts we have of the Bible agree in, in major ways with what they say. The next slide you'll see is how close those copies and those manuscripts we have are to the original. So you see two columns. There's a blue that's in the front, and then there's a red that's in the back. The blue indicates the, the years between the writing of the original document and the first fragment that we have. So with the Bible, you almost can't see it. It's 25 years between the, the oldest fragment that we have that, that we can see today and the original writing of the, that fragment. And for the full manuscript that we have, it was 225 years. When compared to other writings, the first fragment we have is hundreds of years from many works from the original. And for, other, for, the, for manuscripts, it is sometimes over a thousand years between a full manuscript that we have and the original. All of this is to say is that compared to other historical works that we have, Scripture is reliable. It is reliable that what we have today is what was written many years ago. But there is an aspect of believing in God and following God and trusting the Bible that has to do with faith, even though there is archaeological data that supports various biblical accounts. There is a level of faith that comes into believing that all Scripture is inspired by God. And we believe that God's Word is inspired, inerrant, and infallible. God inspired human authors to write His Word through His Holy Spirit. The resulting work is free from error, that means it's inerrant, or any wrong in its message, meaning it's infallible. So that is what that means. It's inspired. God is the author through human authors. He wrote, they wrote what He inspired them to write. It has no errors, meaning it's inerrant, and it has nothing wrong in its message, meaning it's infallible. Now, I want to clarify this that this is pertaining specifically to the original text. But through faithful translation, through faithful sharing, like we saw with how many manuscripts there are, we believe the Bible we have today is the inspired Word of God. We can believe that. We can say that with confidence. But that does not mean that your English Bible by itself may be free from any error. Okay, so in, in 1631, there was a Bible that was written 
that was published that became known as the Sinner's Bible because it made an accident in the publishing. Thou shalt not commit adultery became thou shalt commit adultery. There was an omission. There was an accident, and they pulled it, and they got rid of it because it was an error in the reproduction of it. I had a Bible when I was in high school that had a typo. There are different translations of the Bibles that sometimes vary in the way they translate verses. This does not mean that it's not faithful or not true, but it means that our, our Bibles today are not what we can look at and look at the exact English wording and know with, with absolute surety that we know, based on the English translation, exactly what we're talking about. We can look at God's Word, we can look at the Bible we have today and know it is the inerrant, infallible Word of God, but we have to know that we are looking at what the original said. We want to make sure we are looking at what the original said and not what we are understanding. Because that's the other part. The other part of it is that God's Word is infallible and inerrant in its original meaning. It does not mean that you can look at the Bible and read something and think it means something and it absolutely means that. There are times where people will read Scripture and will, will get it wrong. There are times where people have misapplied and misinterpreted Scripture and, and said it was authoritative, but it was not what the Scripture meant. There are no doubt times where you have seen people misuse Scripture in your life. One of the most common that is uh, thankfully less harmful is the way that we've seen verses like Philippians 4.13 used. Right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In this passage, Paul's talking about all of the ways that, that God has helped him overcome adversity and helped him overcome difficult, terrible circumstances. I've seen today where people use that with the idea that they can, they can win a football game or they can win in, in a sporting event or that they can have what they want in their life because with God, all things are possible. Well, while it is true with God, all things are possible, that's a, a twisting and a misuse of that verse. God's word means something. It, it has authority, and it has authority and meaning in its original meaning. The authors had an intention. We're going to get to it in a moment, but truth can be known. In Bible, the Bible has truth to share. We need to make sure that we are intent on understanding what it says for itself and not what we want it to say. What is the Bible telling us and not what do we want the Bible to say? Well, because God's Word is inspired and errant and fallible, it should have authority in our lives and in the church. If we have and we do the very Word of God, that means something, right? If we look in the world around us, we look at the, the, the places we live. If you live in the state of Indiana, you better hold and, and, and follow the laws of Indiana. You better uphold what is written because it has authority. For Christians, for all people ultimately, but for Christians in particular, the Word of God has authority in our lives. It is the Word of God, and we should follow it faithfully. Because the Bible matters. Having an authority, having the Bible as our truth matters. But as we're looking at the Bible and we're looking at what it says and the truth that it says, it's important that we understand where people are if we want to reach them. It's important that we understand what the Bible says and it's important that we understand where non-believers are if we want to reach them. You see, the, the Bible 
shares truth about God. And there is truth that is to be known. But in the world that we live in, many of you have probably noticed in your life, the world is very different. People are very different and have very different ways of thinking than maybe you think. And if we are going to interact well with the world around us, we need to come to understand the ways that they think. It's almost as though there are people in the same nation who grow, who live right beside each other, who speak the same language, but it's almost as though they speak different languages because their worldviews are so different, the ways they, they interact with the world is so different. But there is truth. But there are many who would say there is no truth or that truth cannot be known. How many of you have heard the phrase, my truth? That's my truth. What's true for you can be true for you. What's true for me is true for me. This is the ideas that are seen in postmodernism. This idea that there is a plurality of truth. Multiple things can be true. There is no one true, main true thing. And any absolute claim of truth is wrong. Which is funny because that's an absolute claim of truth in itself. That all, there can be no truth. But there are many that say there is no truth, but there is truth, and truth is found in God's Word. But when we think about this, when we interact with people, when we share what we find in God's Word, we have to think about how we should do that. How do we interact with people that see things so differently from us? We spoke earlier, uh, just a few moments ago, how it almost feels like you might be speaking a different language if you're talking with someone with such a different view. If you were to go on a mission trip to a, a place with a, a, that spoke a different language, your plan would be to find an interpreter or to learn yourself to speak the language. It would not be to get angry and to get frustrated with the people who are speaking another language. The reality is, is there are many people who are lost that we will interact with on a daily basis who view things completely different than we do. But our answer must be to approach these people in love, approach them in truth, with the truth, because the truth is what will save them. God is what will save them, the truth about what Jesus has done. And the truth matters. There's this, this idea that, that you may have uh, seen. If, if, if you've watched basketball, uh, there, there's a, a term that comes from basketball where you've probably seen a player dunk on, over top of another player. And there's this idea that they would a lot of times put those pictures, those are the pictures that would end up on the posters that your kids would hang in, in their bedrooms, right? A player like Michael Jordan's dunking over top of another player, and, and that is the, the picture that ends up on the poster, that ends up in the people's bedrooms. And there's become a term uh, to, to posterize someone. They, they get put on a poster because of that. Then there's the idea that, that people get dunked on. And, and we have this idea in, in as people, it's, it's a part of who we are that when we agree with someone, we like to see them win in arguments over other people. We like to see it when someone dunks on someone in an argument, that they just make them almost look silly by how well they disprove them. When we're sharing the truth about who God is, we have to do it lovingly, not to embarrass others, not to make them feel foolish by by losing an argument. It's not about winning an argument. The, the most horrific thing we could do is win an argument with someone and then that person goes to hell. We want to convince them of the truth 
through love and through, through evidence as we're able, whatever we can do to reach the people. Because truth matters. If we miss the truth, disastrous things can happen. And we'll get to that after a while. Truth can be known. And God is the source of all truth. And He has revealed the truth about who He is and the truth of how we can be saved in Scripture. And before we move on from this idea of truth, there's, there's a growing trend I think that's important that we discuss. And I was trying to figure out exactly where this fit in. And, and I think it fits in, in this part of the sermon and in the next part that we're about to go to. But there's this idea that has been happening in culture that is this idea of deconstruction. That you take what you've known and what you've been told your whole life and you deconstruct it. It's a part of uh, kind of the, the critical movement. There's critical race theory. There's all these different critical theories that exist. But it's this deconstruction of what you've been told. So if you were, and, and it's happening in the church with Christians. People are deconstructing their faith. So they look at everything they've been told growing up. And they deconstruct it based upon their experiences of what they know to be true. And that's where it gets dangerous. But there's two sides to this that I think we have to be very careful to understand. Why are people deconstructing their faith? Every person that I've heard their, their, their story of why they're deconstructing, it's because of an encounter with something in the church that should not have been there. Whether it's abuse from a person within the church, whether it is a, an overuse, uh, it is an abuse of what Scripture says. There are many things throughout history that people have used what the Bible says and twisted it to their own design and used it to hurt other people. And that occurs today still in various ways. So these people begin to deconstruct their faith because of something someone did that was not biblical. Now, many of these people, when they are deconstructing in that sense, they walk away from the faith. And that is a shame. That is a terrible thing. But there have been other people who have used this word. And that's, definitions matter very much when we, when we look at the word, when we look at God's word, when we talk with one another. That, that use this term in a different way where we should look at what we believe, what we've been taught, and measure it against Scripture. Now, I don't want to use the term deconstructing because I think that that is being used in a different way. That's being used in a way where it's talking about walking away from the faith. I'm not talking about that in the slightest. I'm talking about having a purer faith in Christ based upon what the Bible says. In Sunday school this morning, it's been pretty much every Sunday for the past five Sundays, Dennis always ends the message or ends his Sunday school class right where we're going into with our sermon. And he was talking about when Paul goes to the Bereans and they were looking at everything he said and measuring it against Scripture. We have to do that. I have been and seen in churches where a pastor can preach a message that is different than what people had believed for a long course of time. And I saw them say, well, I guess this is what we believe. Because of what a pastor said. If you hear anyone, you're a, a pastor, me, if you hear any person say something that does not sound biblical, test it against Scripture. Scripture is the authority, not the people that are explaining it. And if someone starts to share Scripture and twist it, that is a problem. 
One of the most dangerous things we can, we can say when we teach the Bible is, I think. I think. If you've ever seen people, at Christians, that go on to, to news broadcasts and, and they're on television and they're explaining uh, a Christian perspective on popular events, there are many pastors that are people that I would probably not agree with on many things. And a lot of times they're like, well, you know what, I, I think this. It's very dangerous. Many times what they say after I think is kind of wrong. And there are some pastors, and one of the ones I've seen the best and be most, most faithful about it has been someone like John MacArthur. Every time he is on a news broadcast, the Bible says. The Bible says. Because where is his authority as a pastor lie? In what the Bible says. What God says through Scripture. Not what we say. So in your life, it is important on a daily basis you look at what you believe, what you know about God, and you make sure that is what the Bible says that we should believe and what the Bible says about God. Because if those two things, two things don't line up, you need to get rid of whatever it is that's there that doesn't agree. And those things happen in churches. They happen in small scales and in very harmless ways, uh, in accidental ways. And they happen on large scales in very harmful ways where people end up leaving the faith or walking away from it or spending time out of the church because of what happened. We've got to make sure that what we believe and what we do, everything agrees with Scripture. Because all Scripture is profitable. All Scripture is profitable. And he goes through and lists various things that Scripture is profitable for. Scripture is profitable for teaching. In the Great Commission, Jesus says to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. The Bible is how we know what God expects of us. The Bible is how we know what we are to teach. And if we are in our Sunday school classes, our discipleship groups on Sunday morning, the, the best place to explain who God is and what He's done is through how He has revealed who He is and what He's done and what He expects from us. It is how we become aware of who He is and what He has done, and it is how we can learn about all that we are called to do. It's how we can learn about all that God calls us to do. The next thing we see is that the Bible is profitable for rebuking for rebuking. That is to call out something that is wrong. You see, there's this idea that goes around that we're not supposed to judge. And, and there is truth that we are not the judge. We are not the people that decide someone's destiny, but God has revealed that as sinners, we are all separated from God. And without Christ, we are all under judgment. And after we become Saved, And after we are Christians, the Bible is clear that we are supposed to hold each other to account. When we see something in each other's lives that does not line up with Scripture, we use Scripture to rebuke, to say, hey, this is not right. This is not what God calls us to do. We are supposed to do those things. And that is something that we are not ashamed to do on many things, if, we were to, if you were to walk into church and you were to see a husband strike his wife, I cannot imagine that there wouldn't be many people step in and rebuke and, and to, to hold him to account for what he had done. But how many things do we do on our, in our daily lives, things we say, things we do, the ways we act, attitudes that we have, that we don't say, hey, you know, Scripture says we really ought, shouldn't act like that. Scripture says we should behave this way. If we did that, if we held each other to account, we rebuke and then we correct, which is the next thing for correcting, to take what is wrong, not just to call it out. That's the other thing we like to do. 
We like to call things out, but then leave it there. It's not very good to just make someone feel bad for the wrong thing they've done if you're not going to then show them the correct way to be. Don't do this, rebuke. Instead, do the right thing. Do the thing that God calls you to do. Follow in a correcting manner to correct each other. We are called to correct each other as Christians. Iron sharpens iron. This whole idea of how we iron sharpening iron, there's no sharpening happening if there's, unless there's not contact. If there's not some collision and some friction and some, some difficulty at times. We strive with one another. Now, I mentioned this morning, I don't know why every time that you take a break from, from exercise, from lifting, that you have to get sore the next time you start doing it again. The reason when you exercise or you do something that you get sore is that you're breaking down your muscle. Why? So that it can build up and be stronger. People that, that lift and are bodybuilders, they are constantly tearing their body apart, tearing their muscles apart, so that when they heal, they grow back stronger. We correct and we rebuke so that the body will be stronger. If we don't call out the sin, if we don't call out the unfaithfulness, we will not be who God calls us to be. Because Scripture is also profitable for training in righteousness. Training in righteousness. It's an active, engaged process. It takes effort to be faithful, to, to read God's Word, to be devoted to it, to seek after Him on a regular basis, to go to strive with one another, as we mentioned, to be faithful, to be righteous in God, to, to seek to be righteous as God has given us the righteousness through Christ. Because when we don't do this, when these things don't happen, there is danger when Scripture isn't authoritative. Churches that allow for modification or ignoring of Scripture begin to deviate from following God. And it should not be surprising that many churches that if you look to today, that you could say, well, there's some very unbiblical beliefs in that church. There is something they have done where they have not held Scripture as authoritative. And I think there are two ways that we modify Scripture and treat it as something less than it should be. Is we take its authority from it. And these can be major grievances, major attempts at this, or they can be minor and not even acknowledged by the church. The first thing we can see is that Scripture can be subtracted from. If we take Scripture and begin to pull it apart and say, well, the Bible's authoritative, but not that part. Not, not this verse. Not this passage. When this happens, often we see that these churches become progressive, unbiblical churches. This is churches that say, well, I don't like these. The Bible, the Bible says about these things being sinful, so I'm going to remove that. And they stray and they go in this, this way where they are not faithful. But at the same time, sometimes it might be grace that is removed from the Bible. There are many pastors, many churches that refuse to allow grace to certain groups of people. There are some people that are beyond grace in their eyes. And in doing so, they have removed God's grace from Scripture and have become unbiblical. And in the same way that it can be subtracted to and be an unbiblical church, Scripture can be added to. Many times these churches are, are what get referred to as fundamental, but I, I don't... Again, definitions matter. I, I like to believe that we, are, we believe the fundamental truths of who God is. 
the fundamental truths of Scripture. But when you hear someone say that someone is a fundamental radical Christian, most likely they mean something that they have not, they're not fundamental. They've, they believe something different. They add other things you have to believe onto this idea of who Christ is. They add this idea that you have to follow God this way, but that way is not found in Scripture. That following God means you do this exact thing, but that thing is not found in Scripture. But it also depends on what added is added. Sometimes false idea about who God is are added to Scripture. And again, this is why it's important that we look very closely at what God's Word says and measure everything we see, because sometimes churches will claim biblical authority, but they take things away. They add things to it without really acknowledging that they're doing that. So we have to make sure that what we see, what we do, lines up with Scripture. Because what happens when Scripture is authoritative is beautiful. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said about it. If we want revivals, we must revive our reverence for the Word of God. If we want conversions, we must put more of God's Word into our sermons. You see, there's this reality that God's Word is truth. God's Word is truth. We have to have a commitment and a dedication to knowing and loving Scripture because it is the Word of God. It must happen on an individual level, and it must happen on a church level. Because far too often we take the Bible for granted. How many Bibles sit at home and gather dust? I've heard the story of, of, a, of a pastor that, took, that when he went to visit, they put out the very nice silverware. It was actual silver. It was like a, a family heirloom. And, and when the pastor was about to leave, the person noticed that one of the spoons was missing. And so they were like, this pastor stole my silver spoon. And you may have heard this story, but when they asked the pastor about it, they said, no, I didn't. I put it in your Bible to see how long it would take you to find it. And how true in America is it that our Bibles gather dust, that if someone were to hide something there, we wouldn't find it. God has hidden, not really hidden, given and revealed His truth to us here. We cannot take it for granted because knowledge of salvation comes through Scripture. We talked about the gospel being a foundational element, and one of the main reasons that the Bible has to be foundational is because the understanding of what the gospel is comes through an understanding of Scripture. I've heard testimonies of people who may have heard the gospel, they've been to church, but the, t the, the day they were saved was when they were reading God's Word for themselves, and they understood what God had done for them. The Bible contains revelation about what God has done. Listen to Romans 10, 14-17. How can they, they call on Him they have not believed in? How can they believe without hearing about Him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. But not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes by what is heard. And what is heard comes through the message about Christ. And that message is contained in Scripture. It is effective and convicting to those who hear. In Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and effective, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts 
and intentions of the heart. I'm sure you've had that experience. When someone's preaching or sharing in a Bible study group, a Sunday school class, and it feels like they're talking to you. It cuts deep. No one else knows. But the Word of God goes through every facade we may have, every mask we may try to put on, everything that we would try to do to, to fight it. Any armor we would put on and pierces straight through it. There's nothing that is hidden. This is what we see happen on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 38. When they heard this, this being Peter's sermon, telling them that they killed the Messiah, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that is why the Bible is authoritative. Because when we look at it, when we, when we are faithful to it, when we preach the gospel that is contained within it, there is salvation that can come to those who hear. It is as simple as a child's song. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. The Bible is how God has revealed His love for each and every person who would hear it and respond to it. Every person that walks this earth, and that, that's the hard part, and that's why we have to learn and figure out how to communicate with people lovingly. Every person you come in con contact with is a person that Christ died for. And if we want to be a church that is following Him faithfully, we must make sure that we don't hinder the message that is found in the Bible with anything other than being faithful to what the Bible says. We don't add to it. We don't take away from it. We don't let our thoughts, our ideas, our, our ways of doing things get in the way of what the Bible says, what the Bible calls us to do, who the Bible calls us to be. That we allow the Bible to transform us, to transform those around us. We, we use it. We, we have a boldness. I will tell you, this is the last thing that I thought I would ever do. Preaching. I, I, don't, I didn't like talking in front of people. I didn't like praying at family get-togethers. But when God called me to ministry, He made me aware and to realize that I, this, I'm not up here telling you what I think. I'm sharing the Word of God. And when you go to your family to share, or your friends, or those you live around, and you share the gospel, you're not going to tell them what you think. You're going to share the Word of God. And when you go to your brother and sister that you see something in their life and you need to, to help correct them, you're not going to them telling them what you think. You're telling them the Word of God. And this morning, what I am telling you is the Word of God, is that we are all sinful people without Christ. Without Christ, all people stand condemned. And this morning, you are one of two people. You have believed that, and I pray that you will submit to following Christ as faithfully as you can. To being faithful in Bible study, to, to holding that into, into a place where it is valuable in your life. But if you are not a follower of Christ this morning, if you have not believed in Jesus and what He has done for you, 
The Word of God says that you are condemned, but because of what Jesus done, you can be forgiven. That you can be made right. That you can be brought back. You were far off because of sin, but you can be brought back and made a child of God. Because Jesus loves you. And how do I know that? Because the Bible tells me so. So in a few moments, Becky's going to come and we're going to have a time of invitation. And during this time, I want to challenge you to evaluate your life and how you are living your life based upon what you know Scripture says. Are you reading God's Word? Are you in it regularly? Are you studying? Are you trying to grow closer to Him? Are you following after Him? Do you know Him this morning? Have you turned and given your life to Christ? Surrendered to what He has offered, the free gift of salvation in Jesus? I'll be down front in a few moments if you need prayer or if you need to ask Jesus to save you. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this day that You've given us. We thank You for this time that we can come together and follow You. God, I pray that You would look into our lives. You would help us to see, convict us. Lord, pierce into our hearts. Convict us where we need to follow You more closely. Through the power of Your Holy Spirit, help us to follow through. God, I pray that You would be with us, that You would help us to love one another, to to love the world around us, and to, to share Your truth with one another and with the world. And Father, I pray that if any do not know you this morning, that they would turn to you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.